Welcome, friends. This is Brian Hudson. I want to welcome you to another edition of Conversations in Focus here on Vision Stream Network. This program design is very simple to bring people who I believe are doing great work in our community and God's kingdom. And I want to bring a guest today who is doing exactly that. His name is Dr. Ivan Douglas Hicks. Welcome, Dr. Hicks. I'm excited to be here. Thank you, Pastor Hudson, for the opportunity to come and to share with you on Vision Stream Network. Thank you. Dr. Hicks has served as the senior minister for the historic First Baptist Church in North Indianapolis since April of 1999. He is the son of a pastor, Dr. H. Beecher Hicks, in Washington, D.C., where he was raised. In 2003, Dr. Hicks earned a Doctor of Philosophy, Ph.D., from uh, Temple University in Philadelphia. Dr. Hicks is also a graduate of the Union Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, where he earned a Master of Divinity degree in 1994. Dr. Hicks is an alumnus of Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. He and his wife, Christia Lynette Hicks, are the parents of three daughters, two girls who are twins, both singers in college, and an 11-year-old. As you discover in our conversation, Dr. Hicks leads an organization called the Indianapolis Ministerium, which is doing policy work regarding children and widows. He has a biblical perspective about how churches and ministers can do uh, work in our society. You'll be inspired and informed by what he and a team of other pastors and policymakers are doing. It's quite inspiring to hear. Visit our website at visionstreamnetwork.tv where you'll find a listing of other programs that we're hosting and producing, as well as our podcast. This podcast, Conversations and Focus, is available on Apple Podcasts, on TuneIn, so be sure to subscribe and receive each episode as it becomes available. Our first question here is, what is the Indianapolis Ministerium and the meaning behind its name? Well, the Indianapolis Ministerium is an organization that uh, brings together members of the faith community, pastors uh, that uh, are concerned about social justice and care to do the necessary advocacy work, uh, specifically around uh, the relief of the poor. Uh, the uh, mantra we use is that we vanguard the causes of widows and children, the most vulnerable within society. And so we're a statewide organization that uh, among the faith community provides a vehicle uh, by which we can uh, work effectively, the state legislature, uh, and to uh, specifically create uh, the political environment for uh, a positive outcome for those that are hardest hit or the most vulnerable within society. Yes, and the meaning of the name, Ministerium. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. Um, the, the name uh, is uh, one that I, I brought from Washington, D.C. Uh, my father pastored uh, Metropolitan Baptist Church. He's the pastor emeritus of Metropolitan Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, early on in uh, his, uh, his pastorate there, uh, he was called upon to ordain a woman in the ministry. And the Baptist Ministerial Alliance there in uh, Washington, D.C. did not agree with it. Mm -hmm. And so he was 
uh, elected out of the Baptist Ministers oh. Association within within that area. And he and others, uh, perhaps more progressive pastors, formed an organization that allowed for uh, not just uh, men clergy persons, but women clergy persons to be a part of an organization that uh, was certainly in the late 80s uh, deemed to be more progressive. And so uh, in that light, uh, I guess that's where we discovered the name. Okay. Uh, but if you technically look it up, it's a, a body of uh, ecclesiastical uh, potentates i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well it's an avant-garde name yeah it gets you know it I sounded cool so it, we chose it right <laughs> yeah but it, but it speaks to the purpose too right yeah, yeah. Right. this is not it's it's uh i know ministers are a large part of this but it's something bigger than local church it's a kingdom right effort yeah this this is a kingdom initiative and, mm-hmm. and if we look at um if we look at um matthew uh, the 25th chapter, we see that, that Jesus uh, says that we are to vanguard these causes, that mm-hmm. we're to uplift those that are downtrodden, feed those that are hungry, clothe those that are naked, visit those that are sick and in prison. Uh, when we look at the Old Testament, we see that the prophet, uh, the prophet, yes, spoke truth to power. Uh, oftentimes the prophet uh, was required to speak to that particular community to give them the word that God provided. But the prophet was also looked upon for leadership and to provide relief for those that stood most in need. And in that vein, the ministerium is established as an organization among pastors um, and faith persons uh, around uh, the entire state uh, as we grow from Indianapolis, right? Uh, because we're a very new organization. Um, But in order for us to be effective at the state level, we have to make sure that uh, we are a statewide organization that that is not homogenous, that does not simply reflect one demographic uh, or one ideology even, but there are causes specifically around widows and children that we should all galvanize around, and no matter what our doctrine is, no matter what our... Uh, faith belief system is even we ought to be able to uh, to work to infuse some faith action uh, into into the body politic. Yes, um, you actually answered the second question somewhat. Is what inspired you to begin ministerium? And I'll just let you expand upon that. Was there a seminal moment? Was there an idea? Was there something in prayer? Uh, what inspired you and others to begin this work? Yeah. Well. Um, we had an opportunity a couple of years ago uh, to help create a cultural environment at School 42, the Ignite Achievement Academy. Uh, I had an opportunity to uh, provide a tour for Richard Reynolds and Timothy Taylor and, and Preston Adams, uh, four pastors here in town that were interested to see how uh, this innovation network in this area is emerging and specifically how we could create an Afrocentric or a culturally specific school. And so uh, we had a coffee conversation right after that tour that said, uh, that allowed for us to have, uh, uh, you know, take next steps to say, look, we need to be about this work. How can we be more effective as a ministerial community here in Indianapolis, Indiana? And how can we provide the necessary leadership to create a legal legacy, to create um, systemic change? Yes, but through um, public policy mm-hmm. advocacy. And so uh, so that's what we sought to do and, and said that we can't do this by ourselves. And 
and uh, we in February of uh, 2019, a little more than uh, a little more than uh, almost a year ago, we had our first um, you know reveal, if you will, of, of what we sought to do. And in a very academic way, I, I think that we um, we pulled together uh, a community of educational advocates because our presupposition was that uh, education is the social justice avenue and platform and, and the, the sandbox we need to work in. We, yes. we felt was educational um, equity. And so we pulled together a faith community consultation at the United Way. Uh, to dig deeper, we we f- felt that pre-K and early childhood education in the state of Indiana was something that uh, we needed to to work on, and so we started at the United Way with uh, the creation of friends there to find out more about early childhood education and their advocacy work uh, in that legislative session. Uh, but at the same time, we reached out to others in the educational advocacy arena from the United Way, from the United Negro College Fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also reached out to the Children's Policy and Law Initiative and Dr. Gwen Kelly and Janae Hanger. And at that consultation at the United Way, we had a room full of pastors and the faith community mm-hmm. there to talk about wow. educational equity. And we heard uh, about um, many things, but the the heinous bill 279 that was going to take 12 and 13 year olds to jail as and with adults Mm -hmm. Um, that was presented by the children's policy and law initiative dr gwen kelly and the ministerium this group of pastors galvanized to that issue and said that we need to provide some faith infusion we need to make sure we do what we can do as a faith community to get the word out about this and to actively fight against something that uh, was reactionary, um, but uh, the implications of it and the application of it would be hurtful specifically to our concern as prophets, which is the widows and children. Children will be hurt, Mm. particularly those that do not have the money to or the uh, wherewithal to make it through a criminal justice system that requires money to to, uh, effectively uh, work your way through. And so uh, it it would be, there would be a disproportionate effect on those uh, in in areas that are already disproportionately hurt. Just so I'm clear, and for those who are viewing outside of our state, yes. um, you, you were saying just now that there was a proposal to try children and to place them in institutions incarcerated, incarcerated with adults? With adults. Um, oh, it was a Senate bill, uh, Senate Bill 279, and uh, Senator Houchins, I uh, saw her yesterday at, a, at another hearing down there this session, but uh, Senator Houchins uh, presented a bill, and it was based on a shooting that took place in Noblesville, Indiana, yes. where a uh, young man uh, was, uh, a young man went into a school and, yeah. and shot, and he didn't kill anybody. Mm-hmm. And because he didn't kill anybody, um, uh, because of his age, he was, uh, in some people's estimation, um, handled, well, certainly handled as a juvenile and not as an adult. Many would, according to the law. Yeah, according to the law. Many mm-hmm. thought that he should have, because of the nature of the crime, been handled a little bit more callously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it led to, and the rage behind that situation mm-hmm. led to the creation of a law, 279, that said that 12- and 13-year-olds now, for attempted murder, 
can now be housed uh, and uh, be treated as adults. And so, okay, that's the context. Yeah. Now, why? I mean, how is it that? Well, I can see how, from a policy standpoint, reaction to a heinous event, we don't we don't condone yeah. what happened. Is, but how much policy has been developed based on reaction to something bad happening? I understand we have to do something, but isn't it a bit of a reach? Right. Yeah. Well, well, that, that and that's that's the reason for this advocacy. That's yes. the reason for us to, um, if you have a, a a family member in the nursing home, go check on them. If you have um, a relative that's in the hospital, go check on them mm. so that there's some accountability there. Uh, when you have someone that goes to court, make sure somebody goes to court mm. with them because there's that accountability. And so it's the same way with these laws that come forward. Somebody has to be there watching. Somebody has to be there saying uh, that there are a lot of times uh, well-intended laws that have uh, that have uh, results that are very hurtful. And we have to think these things through. We have to make sure that as opposed to just reacting and saying, okay, let's take 12 and 13-year-olds to jail at this age and, and try them as adults. Well, you have to understand who's going to be hit by that. You have to think about that. Mm -hmm. Who's going to wind up in these jails? Those that, once again, don't have the financial wherewithal yes. to navigate this system. And so, um, and so we were able to, in uh, a number of ways, um, uh, some ways public and some ways private, um, but we were in a number of ways able to carry out a campaign uh, to support the leadership and the work of the Children's Policy and Law Initiative. Uh, because in order for the faith community uh, and for pastors in Indianapolis, Indiana, and as we spread throughout the state, in order for us to be effective, it is not necessarily necessary for us to lead anything. Mm -hmm because that's not necessarily our goal. Our goal is to make sure we are providing the necessary faith infusion on specific issues yes. so that there can be some legislative gain at the state house. Yes. Um, and so um, it's, it's strong work, it's powerful work, it's, it's, um, it's work for which many feel to be called in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so we're appreciative for uh, Vision Stream Network and for uh, your leadership and willingness to utilize your gifts, talents, and abilities uh, to spread the word about uh, our uh, our work and to to use the resources, the the asset. How do we manage the assets? How do we manage the blessings of people and personnel and and ideas? How do we manage that effectively in order to satisfy and to achieve the goal, which is relief for widows and children, the most vulnerable within society? Yeah, that's 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 the heart of Christ. Yeah, and that's part of my uh, purpose in my engagement is I really feel that if we don't have our own voice, people will create narratives for us. Right. So it's important for us to have our own voice like we're doing right now to hear from people such as yourself, get it straight, you know, get it real, get it, keep right. it real right. because this work is important and policymakers need to know that we're out here, we're watching now, we're paying attention now. Right. And, and that's one of the common uh, misconceptions. I mean, we do have a, an overwhelmingly um, apathetic, uh, not just electric, but um, when it comes to the appetite for social justice, people tend to uh, like to like it on Facebook, but do we really uh, get active and involved? A lot of times we don't. Um, and a lot of times we don't know how, even if we do want to, to get involved. Uh, more so than that, uh, there are, there's an overwhelming, once again, 
thought that what I do will not will not matter. And so what we've seen is that even with a super majority at the state house, uh, with an issue that was perhaps thought to be a foregone uh, conclusion that that this law would be enacted, we were able to uh, to open up our mouths and strategize. Um, and not just yell, but strategize, strategize and think about the 13 different ways or the 19 different ways to approach a particular problem. Um, we came out of Ferguson with a philosophy that said, by all means available, right? By all means available. Yeah. So what are the what are the mechanisms, the vehicles? And just like we need to have multiple streams of income, uh, we need to have multiple avenues toward the advocacy that we do. Yes. And there may be some times that we need to incorporate some things of old. I always want you to think that uh, I have the ability to rally the, the, the faith community and we're going we're gonna to get in buses and we're going to rally around the statehouse. I want you to have that in the back of your yes. mind. But in 2020, um, racism's more savvy and so our social justice and advocacy yes. needs to be more savvy. Yes. And so with a computer and with... Um, some clear and specific conversations um, that that we are able to have. You can bring influence to bear and make people have some aha moments and let them think that you know what they what they thought was a foregone conclusion yes. is not necessarily going to take place. This is a faith thing. This yes. is a faith walk, and so uh, you know it, it's not in the Bible, but the Lord helps those that help themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, the Bible does tell us that. That we are to to exercise our faith, yes. um, and that that there are some things that we might not see, but if we believe that uh, that great can come to pass, if you show up a lot yes. of times, if you put yourself in a position to be used by God, um, then God will show up, yes. and and um, and so that's what we've seen. That's what we yeah. saw in fighting 279 last year. That's what got my attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I was aware of some of the work, Dr. Kelly, who's a member of our church. I was aware of some of the some of the you know the substantive meetings, but that issue right there kind of galvanized us in terms of paying attention. Right. And in fact, my next question is just uh, in that same vein: Why is it important that citizens and leaders pay attention to public policy? Now, there are issues out there. Right. Things in the news come up a lot, but but public policy is is not on the news always. So why should we pay attention to public policy? Well, pu- public policy uh, these these are the laws that are enacted that that literally affect uh, everything from the services that are provided uh, in our neighborhoods to the money that we have in our pockets through through taxes. Uh, you know, we are a lot of times more so concerned, and right now we should be. I mean, you want to know the, the, whether or not elections have their consequences, then we can look at national politics and we can see uh, that, in my estimation, uh, that we are witnessing the worst president that the United States has ever known. Uh, and so that's Donald J. Trump. And so we are, we are experiencing that right now because uh, we provided the platform through an election that took place, and now he's yeah. the president of the United States. And so from the administrative shifts and changes, and specifically the policy that comes down right. the pike because of that election, there's a reason for the backlog. There's a reason for uh, the bureaucratic hazing that is taking place mm. that keeps those that are historically disadvantaged from the resources that should be available if we, in fact, have uh, a government 
uh, that creates budgets that they understand are moral documents. Uh, what you put in that budget, it's like your checkbook at home. Yes. You, let me look at your checkbook, and that will tell me what your priorities are. Mm. Let me tell me where your love is. And it's the same way with the state. It's the same way with the city. Let's look at that budget because it's a moral document, and it says uh, whether or not Indianapolis or whether or not the state of Indiana has a soul. And so that's what we seek to mm. compel people to do mm. is, um, is no matter what side of the aisle, that you were on, um, we want to know whether or not with widows and children and the most vulnerable within society, we want to know whether or not we can have a conversation with you mm -hmm. that pulls on those heartstrings. And so the next work, yes, is to make sure that as we've been um, very intentional about how the ministerium emerges, you know, over a year and a half now, uh, as we make our next steps, in order for us to continue to be effective at what we seek to do, we're going to have to build bipartisan relationships. We're going to have to look at specific issues and specific issues with widows and children that we're looking at. Uh, because after that faith community consultation last February, we were able to work on 279. But during the summer, sort of in season and out of season, mm -hmm. when we were out of season, we had uh, meetings on a regular basis and leadership retreats to look uh, not just at. Uh, the internal workings and how we create an organization that's sustainable um, and effective and excellent. But we also were able to look at what issues uh, were out there pertaining to widows and children yes. and sort of how to triage it, how to take it in and how to rank it so that mm -hmm. we know what we're working on, what we're supporting, what we're watching. Um, and we had a consultation at uh, our second uh, consultation in October at the Urban League. And we were able to look again at a, a few issues. Uh, we carried over old business, if you will, 279, and have been working with the Children's Policy and Law Initiative to create research-based children's justice law. Yes. So as opposed to just reacting to that, we are in a position now to say that we're uh, creating uh, the necessary relationships and uh, working within this coalition uh, provided uh, by the Children's Policy and Law Initiative's leadership, we're able to work in order uh, to write laws for child justice, not juvenile justice, yes, child, justice. child justice. Remember, these are children. Yes. Children, uh, neuroscience says that their brain is not developed until 25. And mm -hmm. so uh, when you have somebody that's 12 and 13, let's, let's take that into consideration. And let's consider uh, what the neuroscience says and what other uh, states are doing, what mm -hmm. others are doing, so that what we create is not reactionary based on a Noblesville situation, but it's mm -hmm. based on the research that's been done in terms of neuroscience and the best practices that we see around mm -hmm. the country. And so that's been the work off-season, so that we're not just going to respond to stuff and fight stuff, but we're also going mm -hmm. to be proactive mm -hmm. and work with coalitions in order to promote something that's for the good of our kids. Yes. Um, so we'll, we'll continue to work on that, and we're working on that uh, in this session right now. In this session right now, we also carried over this pre-K issue. Um, the pre-K issue in Indianapolis, in Indiana, state of Indiana, really, is that uh, we have a pilot, and with that pilot money, uh, they, there's law that provides uh, what is known as a voucher. I like to call it a scholarship, uh, but there's money that's provided for four-year-olds to go to preschool. It's important not just for 
uh, pedagogy, but it's important for social justice reasons. If I'm going to uh, have a child that uh, competes in kindergarten, I need to make sure that they're exposed to the same things. We need to make sure our children have the vocabulary and are able to have the primary and foundational skills that everybody else has because you have kindergartners and first graders that aren't able to compete. And so it as quick as we can get our kids into school if you are in an area and in a system or even in a family that has been dysfunctional this is the way to fight your way through that and we have to get our kids in these programs early the problem is the with early childhood education you have uh you have four-year-olds that uh that need to get in the program um to justify the need the pilot money once again pilot money has um, has gone from five counties to 20 counties, and now all 92 counties last legislative session have the ability to utilize money to take uh, four-year-olds to pre-K. If you're, They expanded last year from 125% to 183% of the poverty level as well. So there's a wider range of people that are able to go. But understand it's pilot money. And unless we drive demand through registration by making sure our four-year-olds get in this program, they will say in the next couple of years the pilot money is is over. We've, mm-hmm. We spin it up. But there's no need for pre-K in the state because the drive and the, the census did not demand it. And mm-hmm. so we have to make sure for a number of reasons that we're getting four-year-olds in that program. Yes. And so um, the faith community will continue to get the word out to encourage our pastors and churches to not just get the information and, uh, and inform ourselves, but how can we be advocates beyond our churches to reach out to our community and let the community know that that it's important to register these four-year-olds. Some of us just found out. Well, here we go. I just found out right now. So, so it's that, a, hence our issue, right? Hits, and, and hence our work, yeah, which is what work, we do. Yes, yes. So, uh, so yeah. those, are, those are two things that we carried over from last year. We've picked okay. up two more things okay. in terms of specific legislative goals and legislation that's being yes. enacted. Mom and infant mortality, not just infant mortality, but mom and infant mortality. Uh, right now there's legislation that will seek to attach a Uh, so that there's midwifery that takes place with those that once again are under a particular uh, level of income Uh, but there are resources available right now uh, for some consultation but to provide um, a consistent doula program so that we can have not just infants but moms are dying mom and infant mortality so there needs to be coaching among those uh, among our community Uh, not only do uh, is there a law that will increase the ability for those doulas or those midwives as well but there's also this legislation will move from six weeks to an entire year um, the resources for postpartum uh, depression or postpartum uh, physical concerns um, that there's uh, six weeks right now that uh, is not enough and certainly we see that uh, because of the problem so mom and infant mortality mm. um, then lead poisoning I mean you know yeah. I'll let you talk for a while because I well, mean lead sir, poisoning is going to require me I, to know, take I, a I, breath and come back at it no, again. No we can see <laughs> that your heart is full I mean full of love for the people which you couldn't do this work without love for the people right? and, and be this intense and be this prepared. Doc, we appreciate you Thanks. and the brothers and sisters who are involved, engaged in this. Last, uh, last May, May 15th, I 
was involved with. In fact, we did a, a live stream, public service, of the community advocacy strategy training. Right. And that was my first direct encounter with ministerial work. And I was really pleased and um, kind of blown away with the depth and the quality of what I encountered. Uh, Mindy, good pastor, walked everyone through, this is how advocacy happens. Here's how we make presentations to our lawmakers and how things get done. For our listeners and viewers, there's a link right there on the screen, or you can look in the notes, show notes, you'll see the link to watch this, uh, this recording of this event. You need to watch it. It's, it's eye-opening. I think sometimes we as people and believers, you know, we pray and we hope and we, we are upset about things. But Faith Without Works is dead. That's it. Every day. And, and so what uh, Dr. Hicks is doing, others are doing through the ministerium, is really showing us how to put works to our faith. Right. Faith um, Without Works is dead. Yes. So, so to the event last May, is that the kind of a model of what you want to do with informing the, the public? Yeah, well, um, the, the event, that was right after the legislative session. Okay. And so we referred to before to in-season and out-of-season, yes. in-season being while the legislature is in session. In session, okay. And so mm-hmm. once they were, they were out of session, mm-hmm. we certainly had formed wonderful relationship with the United Way of Central Indiana and specifically Mindy a uh, good pastor who mm-hmm. was the vice president of public policy. Um, and so, uh, once again, this is a scholastic pursuit for us, yes. that, that we're going to, to have the necessary inquiry and not just pull people together to, to find out what's going on with specific issues. But when it comes to the development of the ministerium and our work, we thought the next best step for us to take uh, was to um, do advocacy training, to train ourselves so that we could equip ourselves and anybody else that wants to come hang out with us. Because we're, I mean, anybody that cares about widows and children, anybody that cares uh, to provide relief for those that need it the most, you're our friends, you can be a part of our coalition, individual or organization, we seek you. Uh, so that we can pro- we can get this taken care of, but yes. but uh, but so we have an opportunity um, and took an opportunity off season to do specific advocacy training, so that we're equipping ourselves to be stronger leaders and to do this work. Yes. And also, we knew that there are many um, children and widow most vulnerable issues that we could tackle. We, we needed to be cerebral. Let's think about how we take on work, mm-hmm. how we determine what we're going to work on. And one of the great, um, one of the great things from that presentation was, uh, once again, how they do their work. They, they were concerned last year about pre-K and concerned about the hate crimes bill. That was the top of their pyramid, but that wasn't the only thing. There were some things that they were working on actively. There were some things that they were actively supporting and some things that they were watching. And so, um, so with that model, we were able to say, okay, well, this is the way we're a new organization. We're trying to, you know, figure out exactly how we proceed. And so we do the research and we hear from those that are in this area. And that has been a wonderful exercise for us as we have considered what we work on now. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, the four things that we're working on now were based on um, the, the metrics that were, was provided, the framework that Could was provided. Could you restate provided. those? I'm, I'm going to put up on the screen. Yeah. I want people to see those yeah. four. Mention those four items I, again. I'll give you those four four areas mm-hmm. that 
that last year we dealt with um, juvenile justice okay. law in mm -hmm. Senate Bill 279. Mm -hmm. And so now, if I were to put a title, I'd say uh, comprehensive child justice reform okay. would be number one. Yeah. The second, mm -hmm. early childhood education. Yes. Um, the third being mom and infant mortality. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth, lead poisoning. Lead poisoning. Yeah. Here at, in the state of Indiana? Here in, the, here in the state of Indiana. Not just Lansing, Michigan. Not Lansing, just Lansing or Flint or Newark or, Flint, or, yes, or in the state of Indiana. Right. We've heard about Gary. There's specific legislation, and we're hearing about some re remedy and relief that will come to Gary right now in the legislative session. Okay. Um, and so, and so here in the state of Indiana, but what we don't know um, for the most part is that, uh, that the city of Indianapolis, and not just Center City, but Lawrence and Warren Township, these are hot spots for lead. And we have levels of lead in Indianapolis, Indiana, that rival Flint and rival Newark. Now, in whose interest is it for us not to be aware of this? I don't understand why we aren't fully aware and why everybody in public service is not on board. Well, um, I, I think people steer away from from controversy. But once again, it's one of those one of those things that requires us to not just hear about the situation, but mm -hmm. to do something about it. there yes. have been press releases and press conferences okay. and. Um, and toward the end of the month, there will be another meeting down at the McKinney School for Law. The black state legislators, our black legislators here, our caucus, um, they are uh, looking at what legislation they will advance that will lead to um, the alleviation of some serious lead that we have here in this area. Um, specifically, the work then in this arena. Um, of lead poisoning. Once we once we understand uh, how important it is, there has to be some work to to deal with it. Um, lead is a a big issue that we need to be dealing with, and uh, we started working with the uh, NAACP's education committee and Gary Holland uh, once again at School Forty Two a couple of years ago. Um, uh, we were able to observe some behaviors, uh, and then. Uh, Gary Holland was able to get resources to get children tested for lead at School 42. Mm -hmm. There were some ele elevated levels. Now um, we've been able to work at a meeting yesterday with Patrick from the, all of the innovation schools yes. uh, or the mayor's innovation office to make sure that all of uh, the mayor's schools are now tested, mm -hmm. testing smaller children for lead. Um, well, let's explain to yeah. maybe why is lead poisoning a problem? What, what are the yeah. long-term effects that yeah, you're so, paying attention to? So lead poisoning kills, um, okay. um, and it will eat away but at your brain. It doesn't yeah, kill slowly. you like a gunshot. No, no. Okay, okay. It will, it will slowly eat away at your brain. Okay. And so there will mm -hmm. be some function o over time that, that will, that will uh, just be min minimalized. Mm -hmm. um, and so how you see it most times within children, first of all, um, is behavior. And, and, you know, that's our widows and children, yes. And so mm -hmm. we look at what happens with kids. We, look at, we saw kids at School 42 that were sliding down the wall, and some kids were, you know, they'd get some chips of paint, and they'd eat it, and just uh, different behaviors that if you are not careful, they will be, the lead won't be diagnosed because it presents as mental illness. And so with all of the, the mental illness awareness that's taking place, which is great right now, a lot of times in an environmental uh, in hazard uh, zone, if, if you have children that are coming to school 
and lead is in their system, then they present as if though they have lost their minds. And it's because their minds are being altered and affected by the lead. And the problem then, one of the the variables that needs to be considered is that then they get Prozac and Redlin. So as opposed to dealing with the lead, which is a physical condition, they are given all of these alphabets, ADHDs and all of those, and then False put on... False narratives, basically, right? Yeah. About, mm. Exactly. And put on... So you're dumbing down and you're medicating, right? You're, you're not do, dealing you're with doping, the core You're issue. doping up the mm-hmm. child, and you never deal with the core issue. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so that's why that's why this work is important. Yes, that, yes. That, that we make awareness of it. So the, the ministerium and our faith community will be able to work specifically... Um, with figuring out um, how to, once again, be the faith infusion. How can the church, how can the faith community say this is what we can do in this specific instance? Um, in the NAACP and Gary Holland and others have been leading a lead initiative. And so it's not up to us to lead the initiative. But what we can do is say, how can we as a faith community work to do what we can do? And so th- this is what we discovered and what we're working on right now, specifically with lead. Um, yes, we want to push for legislation, but something, um, you know, this big needs to be pragmatically dealt yes. with. We, we have to we have to really work on this so that um, so that we need to raise a whole bunch of awareness. But at the same time, we raise a whole bunch of awareness. We want to be able to provide some remedies. And so in the spring of the year. Uh, through some of the work of the ministerium, creating a coalition with others from IUPUI and IU Health and Faith Health Indiana, a new organization. It's a statewide organization that's emerging. Um, you know, we're going to work and coalesce as many partners and collaborators as we can to get the word out yes. about this situation. But at the same time, we want to be able to say these are the signs of lead. This is how you deal with lead in your child. These are the signs of uh, these are the things to look for in your home. And you have to have your soil tested and the dust in your house tested and your water tested, uh, particularly if your house was built in the 70s or before. Which many homes in the in the hood in, are right. old and exactly. asbestos sometimes is still present, all that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so, so let me let me dig a little deeper. So we, it's a big problem. Mm-hmm. We know that we're going to come in the spring of the year when we can actually test soil and things like that. It's cold right now. Mm-hmm. It's best to test in the spring and summer. Right. We'll have a campaign this year okay. that will be a faith-led campaign that we will reach out um, to begin to uh, bring this awareness, but also as we bring the awareness, we'll be able to once again tell you how to deal with your children and how to deal with your houses so that yes. we may give you a great problem, but we're seeking to give you great solutions. The faith community um, can do this and will do this as well. That th- What we've discovered is that there are parents that will not, um, that will not get their children tested because they fear that CPS is going to come and take their children because their children have lead or try to remove them from the house because they're in a house where there's lead or the health department will then get in engaged. Right. And if you, there's free testing for lead from the health department, but if the health department comes, they're also going to check everything else. Right. And so it is perhaps perceived as a gentrification move or they're trying to run me out of my neighborhood and, you have parents and homeowners 
that are not availing themselves to the testing resources because of fear of fear. some type of mm. repercussion. And so the faith community then um, has worked out. I don't know if I'm necessarily supposed to be announcing and I won't do the complete details, but mm. we're working once again with IU Health and Faith Health Indiana and specifically with IUPUI to um, to develop kits that can go out into the neighborhood and in the spring will designate an area as a pilot mm. and go house by house. And churches can help with that. We trust it more than the government. Absolutely. By and so, large, yeah. And so that, that's the thought, that, right. that we have worked something out so that as opposed to the health, comp- health department coming in mm-hmm. and looking at uh, your lead and the other things they have to look at when they come out to look at your house, you can get, there'll be a packet where you can do uh, through a van or a mobile unit, some immediate testing. Water has to go away and come back. But the results don't go back to the health department. The results come back to you as the homeowner. Mm-hmm. The results come back to you because we want to make sure that we are creating an opportunity for the health of your children and the health of our community to be greater without the fear and repercussion. So we're yes. seeking to solve a very serious need uh, through the vehicle of the church yes. and the faith community, right? Yes, yes. And so I believe this is what God calls us to do. I believe this is this is what ministry needs to look like in, in 2020, um, that as resources dry up, um, yes, uh, we can provide that bridge gap service uh, in many ways, but to to make sure we remain on the wall and we remain the prophetic voice and that we are working uh, at the state level with the state legislature to uh, identify problems and to provide advocacy and vanguard uh, in that arena. But at the same time, as with lead and with these other issues that are women, uh, that are widows and children issues, the most vulnerable issues, um, there has to be uh, work that is practical and work that, uh, is is um, is greater than uh, than some people believe uh, we have the ability to operate. So, listen, uh, friends, you've you've heard from Dr. Hicks. Uh, what I find is a profound presentation, a clear presentation, both about the need, but about solutions to the need, and how that we as the church, Jesus was clear about his concern, our concern for widows children, the elderly, and disadvantaged people. Apostle Paul spoke about it. And there's no question but that this work is biblical and it's correct. The question is, why aren't all of us doing it to one degree or another? And as, as Dr. Hicks said, we don't have to lead it. We can support it, though. Whatever, whoever's doing something correct, we can, right. we can get behind that. And, and I want to do that. the right thing. Yes. You know, when I get to glory... I want to be able to say I did what I was assigned to do. Yes, sir. Right? Yeah. And different people have different assignments. And, and, um, and we should. And mm-hmm. different pastors and different faith communities have different charges. Um, and we should. But there ought to be uh, some issues that allow us to come out of our own uh, yes, neighborhoods. Sir. Come together. And yes. we ought to be able to come together yes. around the relief uh, for those that are most vulnerable within our society. And widows and children deserve our concerted effort yes. and, and strong approach to, to relief. Well, one thing I know for sure is that for this to happen, we, we cannot be about building our own kingdoms, all right? We, <laughs> right. we got to be in the yeah, building God's kingdom, kingdom. That kingdom come. Yes, right. and, and that to me is the only way to come together. If, you know, if brothers or sisters are trying to build their own thing, 
it's going to be difficult to come together and be supportive. But I pray that what, what has begun will continue through the ministerium. I pray you stay encouraged and stay on the bless wall. You, bless and, you, brother. And, and, you know what I'm saying? We need you, brother. Bless you, brother. Now, final question. How can viewers and listeners um, learn more about the ministerium and be more supportive of the ministry? I appreciate that. So so uh, we are a new organization, and be, because of our approach and, and because of the way we seek to um, to operate, um, we, are, we want to provide an all-call. If you are a member of a faith community, it is a fellowship among pastors, uh, houses of worship. And so uh, we do have a service that will take place on February 26th at First Baptist Church, North Indianapolis. It's our second year that we've done a consecration service. Uh, last year, uh, once again, we had uh, men and women pastors, uh, those from various different denominations and different uh, ideological sides and sides of the track. Everybody came together around the issues that, uh, that were presented earlier. And we determined that we would consecrate ourselves for specific work at the State House. Uh, that day, Dr. Gwen Kelly came, and we, uh, on on that day, signed and sealed over a thousand letters that fought Senate Bill 279. We were able to, through those pastors, reach out and work with them uh, to provide voice in particular ways. Everybody doesn't do it the same way, and we don't need that. We need for you to move in your vein and to use your influence but we provided awareness about that issue. And so we'll do the same thing okay. on February 26th, 26th this year, this year. Okay. at First Baptist Church. That's what time eight, is that? That's at 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock. at 880 West it's 28th Street. Yeah, so I appreciate you uh, allowing me to okay. uh, give a plug. Please join us on at that time. And as you see things come forward, mm -hmm. um, the ministerium does have a Facebook page. Yes. And so on our Facebook page, you'll be able to see some of the events and activities uh, that we have uh, participated in and perhaps even led over the last year and a half. Um, and so we will continue to uh, engage that way. Uh, but if you could encourage your pastors and your faith leaders to uh, to join us at appropriate times when we have our meetings and when we call for people to be at the state house or when we call for prayer, yes. uh, it's a group that is open to everyone. And so please come and, and join with us in that time and continue to pray for us uh, that we will have the power and the strength and the stamina that you talk about yes. before. Um, but what I marvel at uh, is the strategy that God provides. Mm -hmm. And so for strategy to deal with these issues and for, uh, you know, a lot of times we, we have to, in, in this ministry, be like Rumpelstiltskin, mm -hmm. uh, that we have to take straw and spin it into gold. And so we need, need a little Holy Ghost juice yes. <laughs> all mixed up we in do. there we, in, order, in, in order to make this work right. uh, because you have people on the other side of issues mm -hmm. that have staffs, you have people on the other side of issues that have limitless resources. Mm -hmm. And so what I found to be greater than the most talented staff and the greatest of resources is people with righteous indignation yes. and a God that supports him because with God, all things are possible. And so we believe in something better and greater for our children and for the widows, the most vulnerable. And it is because of our belief and because of our yeah. faith that we'll continue to do this work. Yeah, I tell you, this is wonderful. Uh, you hear the passion of Dr. Hicks, and and we we see the excellence and the and the scholarship behind the work. 
I'm appreciative, Doc. In fact, I'm looking now at the uh, Ministerium Facebook page. I put the address on the screen. It's kind of a long address. Uh, we got to work on that address, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I can shorten it. Uh, but I want you to log in to the Facebook page. That's their online presence for now. Uh, connect yourself, like the page, you know, follow the page to get updates because this is one of the great works in our city, in our state, that deserves uh, our attention and our support. So, Dr. Hicks, thank you for being on today. Appreciate your work. Thank you. Love. Thank you for all you do. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. We've been uh, talking, I've been speaking with Dr. Ivan Douglas Hicks of the First Baptist uh, Indianapolis and also with Indianapolis Ministerium. I trust you were informed and inspired by this conversation. I want you to share this conversation with others. I want you to follow the work that's being done by the Indianapolis Ministerium and to be supportive of these efforts to help the fatherless, uh, the widows, rather the widows, the children who are fatherless sometime, and those that are disabled, those that are hurting basically in our society. Jesus told us specifically to pay attention to those persons. So they're doing that. And I believe it's a, no one can disagree that that's an area we can come together on. We can agree to meet that need and work together to that end. So God bless you. We'll see you next time. Be sure to log in to our website at visionstreamnetwork.tv. We have a podcast, and the podcast will contain this conversation, all the previous conversations. So you want to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, on TuneIn, and be sure to keep up with what information we're sharing here through Conversations in Focus. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you.